Hey, good morning. How are y'all doing? Merry Christmas. Hello, kids. Hello. It's always fun when the kids are in the service. Parents, if your kids make noise, we're not going to make it weird. We feel this is their church too, right? So like fussing babies, they don't bother me. I have five kids. Kind of silence bothers me. I did, uh, I posted this to my Facebook, but I figured out the best way at Christmas time to get alone time, parents, this is the hack. You tell them you're wrapping presents. I was not lying, but the other morning, I was up in my bedroom and the kids kept knocking on the door. And I was like, wrapping presents, and then like silence. And I got two silent hours in my room, during which time, one of my angel children homemade me breakfast and coffee and brought it up to the door. It is queen territory at Christmas because my children know what most children know, that Christmas magic is really just parents who really love you a lot. You know what I mean? Like, who's the Christmas magic makers in your house? Put your hands up. Let's see. You know what I mean. It's a part-time job, right? Between November and December, I'm clocking about 25 hours into this stuff. Wrapping presents was six and a half hours. I know. But my husband and I have a little tradition that we send the children away and we order Chinese food and it kind of like dulls the pain of the perpetual paper cuts as we're wrapping. Like the first few gifts had like nice tight edges, but like by hour four, it was like tissue paper and some quick scotch tape. Like it, it was quick and dirty. But I think it's these Christmas traditions that we put into place that create the sense of anticipation. I mean, for us, we're big tradition people. We have a tradition for everything at Christmas. We have a Christmas movie list that we have to check off all of them for it to feel like Christmas. We have special Christmas foods that when we get our Christmas tree, we eat these special foods that mom makes. And when we make Christmas cookies, we have to make these kinds. We can throw in a couple ringers, like extra ones. This year we did like a really good lemon. But like if you don't do peanut butter blossoms and kolachkis, it's not Christmas. But I think there's something about these traditions that help us feel that kind of crescendo to Christmas, right? Like if you just woke up on a given Monday and all of a sudden it was like, oh, you're brushing your teeth, your coffee's brewing. I guess I should open a present or two. It wouldn't have the same sense of specialness. And so Christmas is like that as kind of our more secular traditions. But it's the same way with Advent. We do Advent because Advent helps us prepare our hearts toward the great crescendo of Christmas. And so uh, the last few weeks, we've been marking it with the candles and the explanations, and I think that's been really special. And this morning is kind of the last installment before tonight. And so all the anticipation that we feel in the Christmas holidays with we've wrapped all the presents. Hold on. Who has not wrapped all their presents? Put them up. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. All right. All right. Oh, Dwight. Okay. Okay. That, that's not a surprise. Sorry, hands down, hands down. 
Okay, but who's going to be rapping probably around 11.30 tonight? Hands up. Oh, I see you, my brethren. Listen, that has been me so many years. This year I'm having a good year. I'm, I have one presence about this big. I have a scrap of wrapping paper that's just the right size. It's going to be the most satisfying present I wrap. But I think that there's something about uh, the anticipation, right? The presents are wrapped. The cookies are out. Like, the eggnog's chilling. You have all of your traditional breakfast foods, whatever you're going to do. Everything is ready. And all that needs to happen is for that clock to strike whatever hour your children let you stay asleep until. And the Christmas story is the same thing. You know, a lot of times when we talk about the Christmas story, we think about it starting around Luke, right? You know, in, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that everyone needs to go to their town to register, and Joseph and Mary, and then there were shepherds, and, and that's the Christmas story we think of. But the truth is, is that the whole Old Testament is one big, like, crescendo, one big, like, rumbling uh, swell to the coming of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the whole Christmas story. That's right, church. We're going to do the whole Bible this morning. Aren't you glad you came? Aren't you glad you didn't go to the evening service? We're going to do the entire Old Testament in 10 minutes. Are you ready? Buckle up, congregation. <laughs> I have bread to make at home, so I'm not going to go long. I promise. <laughs> All right. So we're going to look at the way it leads up. And there's a couple things we're going to notice. We're going to notice there's a lot of anticipation. There's a lot of waiting. And in that waiting, in that anticipation, there's this thread of God's love the whole time. And it all leads to the birth of Jesus. So where do you think the Christmas story starts? Classic. In the beginning. Because everything starts in the beginning. So here we are in the beginning, walking in the garden. Everything's lovely. Adam and Eve are naked, but they're happy. God bless them. They're talking to God. They're friends with God. Like, love is literally walking alongside them at every step of their day. But what happens? Sin, right? They get tempted. They want to be as smart as God. They eat the fruit. And there's this separation from God that remains unrepaired, right? They get kicked out of the garden. And all of a sudden, not only are they separated in relationship from God, but they're separated from the presence of that perfect love. So then here they are, right? They've been separated, but things get weird. When you're separated from the presence of God, it's easy to get weird, right? When you're away from love, it's easy to fall into the opposite of love. It's easy to fall into ugliness and hatred and nastiness. And so the nastiness got so intense that God was like hitting the reset button. And so there was the flood, right? And the flood covers the whole earth. But God saves Noah and his family. Have you ever taken a second to think about what it was like for Noah and his family, minus the stinky animal situation? Like, that's what we talk about when we talk about the kids, right? Like, what do you think it was like with all those animals? But what do you think it was like for them? I mean, they had kids with them, right? Uh, probably, because they had their sons and their sons' wives. All of the people that they knew died. 
they lost all their neighbors. If, Mo, if uh, Noah and his sons and their wives had like fields, all their crops were gone. Like two animals of each kind, that's not a lot. Maybe they lost a lot of cattle. Maybe they lost some of their pets. We have to assume that when Noah was on the ark, he was in pain. His wife was hurting. They didn't know what home was ever going to look like again. They're completely displaced. They're mourning. They're grieving. And yet, God remains with them, right? They find the place to land. They find safe harbor. They come out. God puts his rainbow in the sky. He promises that he'll never do anything like that again. Then, years go by, Abraham. A childless guy is all of a sudden promised that he is going to be the father of a great nation. Not only is he going to have more children, but that his family is going to be a blessing for eternity. And this is one of the first prophecies of the coming of Jesus. Because Jesus comes out of that line eventually. And so imagine, here you are, you and your spouse have waited about a hundred years and you have no children. That means there's no one to pass your inheritance to. There's no one to take care of you when you're in your old age, which a hundred seems like an old age, but apparently not back then. And so all of a sudden you're promised not only a child, but a rich heritage to come after you. Here's all this waiting, waiting for a child, being embarrassed that you can't, you know, make a family, being afraid that no one's going to care for you. And all of a sudden, here comes a promise. So next, a bunch of stuff happened. The Israelites are in slavery. And again, we love the parting of the Red Sea. We love all of the plagues and all the things. Um, I did a chapel with our Learning Center kids, and I got to do the plagues. Best object lessons ever. Like there was lots of frogs happening, right? We, we think about these parts, but we might forget like slavery for a very long time. These people were hurting. They were waiting. They had been promised deliverance. They had been promised that this wasn't how their nation was going to end, but there was no end in sight until Moses. So again, there's waiting. There's this like pregnant waiting for something better. And then Moses comes, and they're delivered out, and the Red Sea parts, and God miraculously again shows up for his people. But he showed up for his people in the middle of it, right? He, he delivered Moses. Okay, so finally, the Red Sea. You think then things are going to get better, but no. Yeah, they're wandering in the desert, hoping for something better, but, but 40 years until they enter the promised land. So they get the thing, but they wait, and they hurt before they get there. So then, then people are having a hard time keeping God's commands. They're in the promised land. They're free. Things are good. But isn't it when things are good that we tend to think we can do things by ourselves? Isn't it when, when things are easy that we tend to forget that we need God? I'm really great at remembering I need God when everything in my life is hard. But when things start going well, I get a little smug. I'm fine. I can do this. I'm good at that. 
right? But we sometimes need little reminders that we need God. And so the Israelite people had forgotten God in, in these moments. And so the judges were in place to keep them on track. So they wanted a king, they got a king. We have King David, and he is amazing. And he's everything they wanted, and he's flawed, but he's good, and he loves God. And from there, there's the promise that someone from his family is going to lead forever. But then, we can't keep it good, right? We can't just have a good king, and then more good kings, and more good kings, because humanity's hard, and they're separated from the love of God, which keeps us held together. And so we have some bad kings, we have more bad kings, we have a couple good kings, and we have people coming back to God, but then turning from God, and the prophets are like, don't do it. But they keep turning from God, and they're in exile. And the exile is crazy, because their homes are ransacked, their cities are gone. And not only have they been invaded, but they're taken out of all of their land, and they're taken to a land and a people that are complete strangers to them. Different languages, different customs. And there is deep mourning. There is weeping. There is fear. But in this, God puts in prophets. The whole time, speaking of a coming Messiah, don't worry, hold on, God's coming, don't worry, there will be deliverer. Over and over, during this big anticipation, they start to wait. They wait for a coming Savior, getting their hearts prepared for Jesus. And then the restoration happens. They begin to rebuild their cities, but not everyone comes back. But still, they have something, finally. They're back in Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the walls. It feels like, finally, things are on the upswing. But then 400 years of silence, where God doesn't speak, where the people who had been used to hearing God from the prophets hear nothing. But this time isn't wasted. During the 400 years of silence, the people dig into the scriptures. They dig into the written prophecies. They learn about the Messiah that's coming. They learn that he has to come from Bethlehem. They learn all of these things that prepare them to recognize Jesus when he comes. And then just like our Christmas mornings, you know how all of December there's like, you might have a little event that feels Christmassy. Then you might get your tree. And then as you get closer to Christmas, the events speed up, right? You have Christmas Eve morning. And then maybe in the evening, you get together with your family. And then you read the Christmas story, and the events start coming faster. And that's what happened. 400 years of silence. And then it's as if God hit the fast-forward button. Mary's born. And we don't think about the birth of Mary as much in the Protestant church. But how she grew up, who she was, was a big deal. It's a big deal, the kind of character that she had within her. It's a big deal that she was so faithful. It's a big deal that she was steadfast. She must have been fierce. And then Joseph. 
Here's a guy who's on the cusp of getting married. He's excited. He's had this marriage arranged for him. And then what happens? This woman's pregnant. People are going to do the math, maybe. He's supposed to have this honeymoon and these children, but she's going to be pregnant with a child that's not his? That's tough on a guy's ego, right? Not every man would do that. Not every man would want to live this life, even if he was the Messiah. Being the father of the Messiah, that's not an easy gig. He's a carpenter. But there was something about Joseph that was special. There was some type of deep responsibility, a deep sense of duty, a depth of character that Joseph had that God knew was one of the building blocks he needed to put into place to send Jesus into an environment where he could grow up right. And then the angel appears to Mary. So here she is, this person with good character and faithfulness and all of this. But remember, a pregnancy then, when you're unwed, is a death sentence. That's why the book of Luke talks about Joseph thinking maybe he'll just put her away quietly. Because if he didn't put her away quietly, she would be stoned. So imagine as a teenager, not only are you pregnant, but you might be murdered. You might be killed, executed over something that's not your fault. So the angel comes to her, and knowing this cost, she decides to trust God, that he who gave her the baby would protect her until he came and after. And then the angel appears to Joseph and explains the situation, and Joseph makes the right choice, and he makes it right away. It's not a, can I think about it for a time? How many days do I have to decide? She's not showing. Joseph jumps right in there. And what a father heart. What a guy who's willing to step up for people who are in need. I think about that here. I think about some of the fathers in our congregation. Some of the ways that you guys step up for your families. It's just so beautiful to watch. I think about when we have outreach opportunities. Some of the guys that step in and help out. God's special friends, some of the men who come and take care of them. There's just something really beautiful about holy fatherhood. And I can just imagine that Joseph must have had some of that in him. Some of that holy fatherhood. And he obeyed God. So now here they are, right? You'd think the waiting's over. But it's a 90-mile journey to Bethlehem. So over the summer, I went out west with my family, and my husband wanted to hike. Friends, I am a lot of good things as a person. I'm a good baker. I'm a good reader. I'm good at making ponytails in my girl's hair. Hiking, you might be surprised to know, isn't one of my spiritual gifts. And I mean at all. Have I hiked? Yes. I've gotten the badge. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. I'm not saying I can't do it, but isn't pretty. You know those, like, girls wearing their, like, Lululemon, and their hair's, like, in a cute ponytail, and they got, like, their Stanley, 
and they're like bouncing along the trail. I'm looking like I just ran a marathon and it, we're, we're at like the quarter mile marker. You know what I'm saying? It is not my favorite. But do you know what I have never done? Is I have never tried hiking while pregnant. But Mary did. Now, if you've ever ridden on a horse, they're a pretty smooth ride-ish. If you have ever ridden on a donkey, they are not. There's no way she was on the donkey for the whole time, first of all. And second of all, nine months pregnant. When I'm nine months pregnant, hiking is going from my couch to my car. If I have to go up the stairs to get my shoes, someone else is tying them. But here's Mary being told that because her husband happens to be from Bethlehem, thanks, we couldn't have gotten a local boy, she has to make a 90-mile trek, four days, super pregnant on a donkey. No wonder why she went into labor, literally. Imagine what she and Joseph are thinking the whole time. It's a lot of thinking time. They knew this was the Messiah. There had to be some fear. There had to be some worry. There had to be some uncertainty about how they're going to do this. I mean, have any of you guys, when you, if you're first-time parents, been like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this? Do you have that moment right before your kid's born? I know I did, right? Right before your kid's born or right after, or, you know, 15 years after. Like, how, how am I going to do this? But how do you raise a Messiah? How do you raise someone who's supposed to redeem humanity? So they had four days of waiting and thinking and worrying and all of that. But then they get to the stable. And it's like thousands of years of creation has been building to this moment. Thinking back on the separation from the love of God. And all the times that the love of God broke through for them. All the times the voice of God whispered. The times the voice of God shouted. And all of that built up to this moment. It's like the anticipation of Christmas, but times a million. And as all of creation held their breath, Emmanuel, God with us. For the first time in thousands of years, the love of God not only broke through, but was made manifest. Instead of the word of God being in scrolls locked up behind gilded things, it is walking in human form. And this is the moment that the entire creation was waiting for. And it came so as we think about Christmas, as we move toward tomorrow, we have one of these reflection points. Christmas Eve is for reflection. It's for remembering. And why do we remember? Because we are living now what our ancestors thousands of years ago only dreamed about. What they hoped for during exile, that the return of the love of God to the world, we have inside of us because of the Holy Spirit. 
He came 2,000 years ago in the form of a baby, but because of his death and resurrection, that love wasn't contained in an infant or in a man. It has gone into our hearts and spread through the world. And every time we look someone in the eye, that love of God can move from our hearts to their hearts. And every time we see someone They can feel the love of Jesus in that moment. And every time and everywhere we go, in every room, church, that we step into, Emmanuel, God with us. So when you are around your Christmas tree, when you are dealing with family members who are hard, Emmanuel, God is with you. God is with you both. Bring the kingdom of God to bear. For some people, Christmas is a hard time. For a lot of people, Christmas reminds us of who we're missing, or what we don't have, or the the painful things. So I want to take a second, and I want to remember those of us who are hurting this Christmas. And I want to take a second and and remind us to hold each other's hearts carefully. Because in the waiting, when they were in exile, when they were on the ark, when they were, uh, you know, the 400 years of silence, what they needed was the love of God to break through. So can I gently remind you, church, that we are the carriers of the love of God that needs to break through for the person sitting next to us. Can I gently remind you that as people who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we don't have the luxury of acting like we aren't. We are the bringers of Emmanuel. And it is our joy and our privilege to bring the Holy Spirit and to be points of grace, points of communion for people. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our Emmanuel, that you are God with us. Lord, in the places of our lives that we are in waiting and we are yearning, we ask that you would be in those places. In the holes that the people we have lost this year have left, we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill that with your great comfort. We think of those who are struggling with infertility this Christmas. We think of those who are grieving this Christmas. We think of those who are struggling with loneliness this Christmas, who are in pain and who are yearning. And we say, God with us, be with them. We hold them in our hearts and in our hands. Lord, we ask for your grace to be points of communion this Christmas, to be bringers of God into our interactions in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we have another Carol Dwight? Or no? No? We're uncaroled? All right. 
Well, how about this? How about, how about I'll give you a blessing, and then you can stand up, and Dwight and Lisa will carol us out. Have you guys met Lisa? This is Lisa. She was my husband's piano teacher, and she is our organist, and we are so deeply grateful for her gift. Thank you, Lisa. Will you stand with me, and I'll give you a blessing, and then I'll turn it to Dwight and Lisa to play us out one. All right, ready? Church, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make you bringers of God with us to all the people around them. May the air change as you walk into a room. May you see people that no one has seen. And may the Holy Spirit keep you in his care and in his love this Christmas and through the whole year. Amen. Amen. Dwight. <laughs>